I think earlier when we were talking about it, we kind of called it like not being dictators. Yeah, I think um, we, we said that, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be dictators, but yet we come across like dictators if we just say, we do. here's if a tool. We, if we say, you need to do it exactly this way and exactly this method with exactly these things. Yeah, with no reasoning for why, yes. but just do it. <laughs> Developers should not be only getting feedback on whether or not something is compliant when they go to deploy. So you need to provide developers feedback much earlier in the cycle mm -hmm. so that they can have more productivity in knowing whether or not what they're developing is compliant and whether or not their configuration is compliant. I just want to say thank you for all the love you showed Shilpi and I at KubeCon EU in Amsterdam as well as RSA in San Francisco over the past couple of weeks. I cannot be grateful enough that you're showing so much love to us. You've supported us to grow on social media and on Spotify and all these podcast platforms. So thank you so much for all the love and support you showed us. Thank you so much for the say, coming and saying hello and taking selfies with us. And some of you were grateful enough to come on my daily vlog, which I post on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you so much for being part of our life and making it what it is today. All right, let's get to the episode before I get emotional. Hello, welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. In today's episode, we have another recording from KubeCon EU, where we spoke to Eve from the New York Times. Eve was talking about OPA, Argo CD. Yes, those are real people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're not real people. They're just softwares that you can use to improve your CI/CD pipeline and integrate security into it. The talk was primarily focused on how you can have a developer-first security while including security in the CI/CD pipeline like Argo CD, OPA. How can you do it before it comes into the pipeline, a pre-commit stage? There's a lot more nuance to just doing integration of security, and Eve was kind enough to share what Eve was going to talk about. So if you are listening to the conversation later on, definitely feel free to share your experience with us. Or if you have any gaps that you've identified that we should talk about, definitely share that with us as well on our YouTube LinkedIn as a comment, or just feel free to reach out through us our website. It's always a pleasure to hear from you on how we can keep improving this. If you know someone who's trying to learn about OPA or Argo CD and how CSCD can be improved by using security, definitely share this episode with them. If you're listening to this for the second or third time, you know what to do hit the subscribe or the follow button on our audio platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or our video platforms like YouTube, LinkedIn. By the way, on YouTube, we're about to hit 10K. I would really appreciate if you can subscribe over there because we want to hit the 10K and maybe even 20K because that just lets people know that, hey, what we're creating over here is valuable and would be helpful for you as well and maybe a future you who listens to the Cloud Security Podcast. That's all I wanted to say for the episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll come back with another KubeCon special in the next few days, and I will talk to you then. Enjoy this episode. Peace. Hello, welcome to KubeCon, EU edition of Cloud Security Podcast. And today we're talking about something interesting, OPA, which is not my best friend, but more than my best friend at this point in time, <laughs> should be best friend for cybersecurity people. But for this, we have Eve. Hi, Eve. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on the show. For people who don't know who Eve is, if you could just tell us a bit about yourself, what got you into this whole cloud natives Kubernetes kind of space? I accidented my way into the cloud space. I have a background in mathematics, so I have my degree in mathematics, and I wanted to do something related to that. I originally went into data analysis and data engineering. From there, got into database configuration. I was at a very small company. Someone left, and my boss figured that I was close enough to DevOps. <laughs> <laughs> so I became the DevOps person. I 
kind of taught myself Kubernetes to a point and then moved to the New York Times where I am now. Much smaller fish, much bigger pond. I've learned from some really excellent people. And from there, I've really moved into CICD oh, yeah. in the cloud, Argo CD, which is a cloud native technology. Yeah. And that's how I'm here. Awesome. And is this your first KubeCon, out of curiosity? This is my second KubeCon. I went to North America and Detroit this year, or oh. last year. And how is that compared to this? I guess, what's your analysis so far? I like this one because being in Amsterdam is really cool. I think there might be more people here than we're in Detroit. All I right. think Detroit sold out of all of the hotels. There were no hotels in Detroit. There were here, I think, because Amsterdam is a big city. But I think in terms of the people much the same booths mm -hmm. offering talks all very interesting all kind of cutting edge cloud native technologies yeah yeah awesome and talking about technologies your talk what is it called and what can people expect from the talk when they listen to it Ooh, so the talk is called automating configuration and permissions testing for GitOps with mm -hmm. opa conf test yeah and it, uh, it's kind of half tutorial half how we implemented opa the open policy agent they have a utility called conf test which allows you to write policy checks on structured configuration data mm -hmm. to be used locally or in the ci process without connecting to a kubernetes cluster so they can be used offline which can also be a security concern you don't have to connect to the cluster to run them but helps people ensure that their code and their configuration is compliant before they merge it into a repository and it's deployed to the cloud. Oh, right. And I think maybe we should define a few of these terms because sure. I think some people may just were like, oh, I guess I know what GitOps is. I know what OPA is. So what is GitOps for people who maybe have never heard of it? Sure. GitOps is an operational framework that works on the idea that you have a single source of truth. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people have run into manually configuring infrastructure, manually changing something, maybe it's documented somewhere, but then you go to deploy something and everything breaks because, well, prod doesn't look like you thought it looked. And GitOps aims to reduce this. It aims to reduce what's called configuration drift, mm -hmm. which is when the live version of your application or infrastructure drifts from whatever written down descriptive version that you have. So instead of someone manually going and creating an EC2 instance, you have Terraform doing that. You have that declaratively in your quote-unquote single source of truth repository, and the live state reflects what your declarative state is. Ah, interesting. And you also mentioned Argo CD as you're yes. talking about CICD. What is that? Argo CD is a continuous delivery tool for mm. Kubernetes that operates on GitOps principles. So... Most people think of CI/CD as you push from your local machine to Git to, and then CI pushes to wherever you're deploying. Yep. Instead of this, Argo pulls from your repository. So you give Argo your repository. Argo watches that repository for changes and syncs those changes to the live cluster deploying your app. Which then links back to the GitOps you were talking about as well, which is mm -hmm. basically the framework that kind of designs. Yes. Uh -huh. So Argo works on GitOps principles of you have your configuration declaratively defined. Argo takes that configuration and applies it just as you've written it. Oh, and you mentioned OPA as well. Yes. What, what is OPA? OPA is the Open Policy Agent, yep. which is a policy engine that aims to kind of unite policy across the cloud native stack. Right, and I think 
to put all of this together, you also spoke about the development platform that you guys have yes. at the moment. Why do you need a development platform? So the internal developer platform at the New York Times is fairly new. It's been in progress for a couple of years. I've been very lucky that I've been there kind of from implementation oh, to nice. we just went GA. Nice. So I've gotten to be part of a lot of discussions, a lot of actual development, which has been very cool. But so we have a lot of feature teams at the mm-hmm. New York Times who are making things. Yep. Like cooking, games, you might be familiar with Wordle. Oh, yeah. All of these teams deploy in different ways. We have all these kinds of different infrastructures and architectures. Some teams have multiple Kubernetes clusters. We're on multiple cloud providers. And this just became too much overhead. There were too many teams doing it in too many different ways for us to really keep a handle on how teams were doing it and secure how they were doing it. Mm -hmm. And so the internal developer platform kind of arose out of this infrastructure sprawl issue. Okay. And we consolidated into three shared Kubernetes clusters, a dev, a stage, and a prod. And teams now deploy to isolated spaces on those clusters that are called tenants. They They get isolated resources. They get an isolated space. They can't access any other spaces. But that was kind of the drive behind it, that consolidation of how people deployed, where they deployed. And it gives us a lot more opportunity to manage what they're doing, to secure what they're doing, and keep our systems secure. It's just an interesting one, because a lot of people, and I always feel with development, because I think you kind of talk about it in your talk as well, the concern that people have is the whole shared infrastructure. It's automatically thought of as a killer for developer productivity. And it's almost like, wait, so I can't deploy myself. I have to go through this, whatever, the random thing that you created, blah, blah. And we were talking offline earlier about the whole analogy that we as security people or us as a technology business, we can make a platform, we can make an option available, but then at the end of the day, it's still up to the developers to adopt it. Now, the security concern that we called out for, I guess, having a platform which is for shared infrastructure, is there any other concern or maybe a challenge that you had to come across outside the whole, hey, shared infrastructure, people are getting frustrated? What other challenges were things that you had to overcome? There was quite a challenge, and I didn't work on this directly, so I'll do my best. But there was a challenge with the kind of Argo that we're using. So we're using what's called the hub-and-spoke architecture. So you right. have one Argo control plane that's deploying to multiple clusters, that's deploying to multiple places. If that gets compromised, the whole thing (laughs) goes down. (laughs) Like, you can deploy anywhere, right? Uh, So there was a lot that went into, and two of my colleagues did a talk on how we secured Argo against that. It involves, I think we tied it to IAM roles in AWS instead of using the traditional service account to kind of pare down the permissions and scope and access but yep. that was, that's one major consideration is you have a smaller attack surface, it's easier to attack. Interesting. And <laughs> to what you called out over there, which is, which is fairly a lot of people, that's what scares them about having a single CI/CD pipeline, that to your point, you access once, now you can deploy it any way you want, you can update anything you want, because technically that is a single source of truth, or at least supposed to be. And then the whole conversation about software supply chain, the supply chain being the CI/CD pipeline, that makes it kind of even more interesting. What were some of the feedback concerns that you had as well? With, I think when I was reading your talk, you had security, developer autonomy, and feedback as, a, as three kind of considerations yes. that were challenges. 
What was the feedback part over there, and why so, was that important? So when you're using a shared infrastructure and teams are no longer kind of deciding to deploy however they'd like, yep. that can really decrease their productivity because they have to figure out how to deploy, but it can also impact their autonomy mm -hmm. because they no longer get to deploy however they like. They have a lot less freedom. And so I think it's a balancing act in being very careful about your security, but not being overly prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Not I think earlier when we were talking about it, we kind of called it like not being dictators. Yeah, I think um, we, we said that, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be dictators, but yet we come across like dictators if we just say, we do. here's if a tool. We, if we say, you need to do it exactly this way and exactly this method with exactly these things. Yeah, with no reasoning for why, yes. but just do it. <laughs> but so another tool that we're using that is from the open policy agent from OPA is called Gatekeeper. Right. And Gatekeeper is a Kubernetes admissions controller that intercepts API requests and persists those requests only if they comply with policy. Ah, right. And you okay. can also mutate them, but generally it does what it says on the box. It's a gatekeeper. Right. It gatekeeps. And so developers should not be only getting feedback on whether or not something is compliant when they go to deploy. Mm -hmm. Because if you think earlier I mentioned configuration drift being something that GitOps aims to limit if yeah. you merge something into your main branch, into that single source of truth repository, and it can't be deployed. Yeah then your app, your live application state, has drifted from your declarative configuration state. And That's that right. also is configuration drift. So you need to provide developers feedback much earlier in the cycle mm -hmm. so that they can have more productivity in knowing whether or not what they're developing is compliant and whether or not their configuration is compliant. Yeah, and because you mentioned another OPA component, because I guess I love this, and I would love for people who are watching an audience and who are listening in to kind of answer this question in their mind. When is the ideal time for developers to begin getting feedback in GitOps operational framework? The options were six, during the PR or pull request process before merge to a main branch, during automated testing in a CI process, after merge during sync process, while developing locally, after any user or stakeholder testing, as frequently as possible throughout the development lifecycle. Now, I'll let people who are listening and watching maybe take a couple of seconds, maybe answer it in a comment or maybe in a Spotify question as well. But what were the two options which are the right ones in this? <laughs> it's a trick question, yeah. so I apologize to the audience <laughs> because the last option is, of course, kind of an all of the above yep. answer, which is true. You should be getting feedback continuously. But when you think about when to begin getting feedback, it really needs to be locally, mm -hmm. which is option four wow yeah remember yeah for option four <laughs> and so dnf is what you went for yeah yes you should be offering developers feature developers local feedback as soon as they start developing before they've even pushed any code they should have access to those tools whether or not they use them you can lead a developer to the tools. You can't necessarily force a developer to use the tools until you can. Yeah, yep. <laughs> until you can one day. We'll get there. At, at some point in the process, you can. But yep. developing locally, you largely can't. Yep, yep. And to your point then, where would OPA fit into all of this? Because you what you called out, when I hear local feedback, I'm thinking, oh, there's something on my laptop which would tell me, or is it at commit? Like, at what point it's is it? local. On your, like an so, agent on my laptop kind of no, thing? No, like a command line interface. I think we have a CLI for our IDP okay. that we can kind of wrap it into. But you can also 
pull conf test policies from a URL. You can pull it from a protocol like Git. Mm -hmm. I have that in my talk that people can just, if they have the conf test CLI installed, you can also sign them. You can package policies into bundles. You can sign those bundles and you can put them on a registry where they can be pulled down. So there are a lot of different options to get developers access. And depending mm -hmm. on how you do it, OPA supports mechanisms to kind of fetch updates so you don't have to continuously pull down or change policies. Interesting. And I'm just thinking of the workflow of how would this work, because you mentioned ConfTest as well. What is that? ConfTest is the offering from the open policy agent that allows for testing like locally or in the CI process. It's what the talk is mainly about. So the open policy agent is a general purpose policy enforcement across the cloud native stack. And then they have utilities such as ConfTest, which is for testing your structured configuration data, or Gatekeeper, which is the admissions controller for yeah. Kubernetes. All right. Okay. So to your point, I guess the way I see this and the way I come from is if we have a set of policies defined, because I'm thinking people who are listening to this or watching this, they're going, okay, sounds like OPA Gatekeeper, OPA Confress, sounds fairly simple. Now I should just go and download or try using it. Would I be correct in saying that they should have a, like a base policy in mind already before they kind of walk down the path of OPA or ConfTest and Gatekeeper and all that? Or does it come with a pre-existing set? They have a pretty wide array of examples. The examples are fairly bare bones Ish. Okay. I think for ConfTest, they have examples for a bunch of different frameworks, including Kubernetes, but their Kubernetes examples are like only allow deployments and services. So those can give you a good idea of where to get started. I think it is a good idea to have in mind what kind of policies you want to put into place. Right. And depending, you can use it for a lot more than just configuration testing. You can use it for authorization checks. I think Miro uses it. Mm -hmm. uh, the whiteboarding app uses it fairly frequently as checks to see if people are allowed to access boards and they do that in the moment. So every time you do anything, create a sticky note, they're checking OPA to see if something has changed oh, wow. and if you're still allowed to access that board. I can't really tell you more details about that, but of I think course. it's really cool. It's very, very versatile. How we're using it is really checks on configuration. So for example, we might check that the name of your application, if it's suffixed with you know staging, we're going to check that you're deploying to the staging cluster and you're yeah. not deploying to the prod cluster. And that's more of a like administrative thing that's right, than yeah. security or policy. We also use it for security mm -hmm. with policies that are kind of passed down from principal engineers or security groups. But it's a good idea to have some basic idea of how you would like to implement it in mind. Yep. Yeah. And to your point, it sounds like basic hygiene. It doesn't really sound security as well, because to your point, also the fact that if I'm deploying in development, it should go into development. It's There's nothing security about it. It's just literally... Yeah, just like silly mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, making sure that's important as an easy... And where I'm coming from is the fact that what we use the example, that which I call it our dictator way of doing security, <laughs> is the fact that if we are able to at least put forward things that are obvious, it doesn't have to be security. It's just basically calling out, hey, maybe we're just doing this check, especially when you're introducing something new for the first time to developers. Because I think that's kind of where a lot of people question, sounds great, but it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And I think I would love to hear in terms of, as you kind of are going through the process, a couple of years of working on this, 
what's the thinking behind making this more accessible for developers? Because you mentioned there's already the step one is, hey, get quicker feedback loop. There's already a CLI tool that you have for people to just use in their command line when they do a commit. Are there other things along the way in that CI/CD pipeline that they can do, or is that the first? Because I imagine you can just have multiple entry ports into CI/CD pipeline, right? Yeah. Well, we started with just having ConfTest as a CI check for the repositories that were related to our Argo CD app. So mm -hmm. on the repository that we used to install Argo CD, we had it for kind of silly mistakes for my team, for the CI/CD team, to make sure we weren't checking in things that we shouldn't have been checking in or to make sure that we had the names correct. We didn't have typos in that way. And then from there, we kind of moved on to governance of the repositories that manage Argo projects, which projects are kind of spaces that host applications mm. and then applications. Those are in two separate repositories where they're grouped. And we wanted to take a hands-off approach because we didn't want to seem like dictators. Of course. Our IDP, it automatically creates <laughs> configuration files. And those configuration files, we didn't necessarily want someone on our team to have to go over them with a fine-tooth comb of course. every single time that one came in <laughs> because that would be a pretty fast bottleneck. Yeah, yeah. There are only so many of us on the CICD team compared to so many engineers at the mm -hmm. New York Times. So we set up this policies code for whether or not people are onboarding more manually and creating these CRDs by themselves, in which case the policies code acts as kind of guardrails yep, yep. to be like, nope, keep keep almost there. You need yeah, this. You, yeah. you need to include this part. Ah, interesting. Um, and also the checks that I've already mentioned, like is it being deployed to the correct cluster? Is it being deployed from a source that we trust and mm -hmm. allow? Or are you trying to deploy some random GitHub repository? Are you trying to, you know, set up a Minecraft server? <laughs> and I think from there, we've moved toward creating and writing policy to a point where that automatically created or generated configuration can be automatically merged in. Because we are sure that if it passes these tests, yep. It's a minimal amount of compliance. We use a different tool for schema validation, which is called kubeconform. Mm -hmm. But from a policy standpoint, we can kind of take a hands-off approach and allow developers to deploy and take this kind of trust but verify stance to their deployment by being like, well, we know that it complies with these basic minimal yeah. things. Yeah, and which anything other than that may, would be just complex and probably application-related anyway. So... Someone does need to look at it yeah. with a final call. If there are going to be new policies, we can communicate those policies with this by mm. setting up warnings instead of failures. Oh, yeah. So if we're going to change something in the future, we can have it flagged yeah. in the CI pipeline or wherever they're getting their output locally that just says, like, hey, just so you know, this policy is going to go into place and this won't be allowed anymore. Yeah. Change it. Yeah. Which is much easier and more easily accessible than putting it in some internal documentation or a Slack message or an email yeah. that no one will check. And yeah. then for weeks after, you'll be like, why did this stop working? Uh, I love the fact that the focus is more on being where the developers are and taking that as an approach rather than, hey, we're just going to come up with a bunch of alerts and just throw it at the developer and hope for the best after that, I guess. I'm curious, was the Argo CD and OPA 
clearly sounds like cloud native enabled a lot of this just made it easy is the kubernetes deployment that you guys have is that more of managed or like a self-hosted one the reason i ask that question is were there challenges from the public cloud space that where you had to fill the gaps yourself because argo cd i'm sure they have their own cd pipeline but you guys chose argo cd for a specific reason i imagine yeah we are not using any enterprise version of these cloud native apps. Yep. We the CICD team owns and configured Argo. Oh, we nice. have a specific team that owns and manages our shared Kubernetes clusters. Yeah. One of them also gave a talk at CiliumCon. Oh nice. Yesterday. Oh yeah, yesterday. Was a yeah, yeah. Located event about how we've used Cilium for more security. Net for security, yeah, yeah. But we do host on US EKS. Mm -hmm. So these are EKS clusters. But they are all, we have enough engineers in our operations that we are lucky enough to get to do it all ourselves. Wow. Because I always feel there's limitation with the public cloud provider in terms of how much flexibility that you have. And it's pretty awesome to know that you guys have developers who can probably build their own communities and manage it as well. What would be one thing you would recommend for people who are listening to this and thinking about, you know what, what, what she said makes sense? I'm going to do this today. What would you say would be the baby steps to kind of walk in that direction? Don't do it in one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely don't do it in one day. Rome was not built in one day, so you probably don't want to build this one no, day as well. I, I really think the answer to everything is piece-by-piece piece implementation. Mm -hmm. If maybe you set up a Kubernetes cluster today and then you work towards setting up Gatekeeper or Cilium or some other kind of security tool on that cluster and then moving toward like, well, how are we going to get apps onto this cluster? And then yeah. moving toward what can we do to give policy at that onboarding phase and just kind of shifting it back until you have a whole pipeline of A to B. Uh, yeah, and to your point then, what would you say once you've made the Kubernetes cluster, OPA is a good place to start first or should people start with the CI/CD pipeline first? As in, should they start with the cluster or should they start with the CI/CD? Like, is there always, or is it a chicken and egg situation? I think it should start with CI/CD. Okay. Cool. I think everything you deploy should be checked for compliance first. Yeah. And policy, just because it's easier to change something before it's live. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, then, because I imagine a lot of people are still trying to learn this as well. How would you describe as a good resource, or what would you describe as good resource for learning Kubernetes? Because there's a lot of Kubernetes resources, but not much for community security per se. Well, how would you describe could be good links or good ways for people to start learning about the space? I think there are a lot of really wonderful free resources on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, every KubeCon, maybe CNCF hosted event, all mm -hmm. of their talks are on YouTube. They go up free several weeks after the event. Yeah. And I think... I also think a great place to start is just reading the documentation. Mm. Kubernetes has really great documentation. Right, okay. Like fairly consistent and accurate. Fairly consistent, fairly accurate. They have guidelines in place where like people aren't supposed to be like, and easily this can be contrived. You're supposed to assume that it's not easy. Right, okay. And I think everything, Kubernetes, Rego, which is the declarative policy language that OPA uses, all of these things have a learning curve. Okay, right. Once you get over the learning curve, it's easier. Yeah, fair <laughs> and enough. And then it, a lot of these make sense, or at least made sense for me, and this is what I've heard from other people. Yeah. But I think one of the best ways to learn Kubernetes is to use Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do that locally. You can do that. A Rancher desktop has a great Kubernetes. 
Docker desktop supports Kubernetes. So it's easy to spin up a local Kubernetes cluster, start applying things, start looking at how you might secure them. There's always Kubernetes the hard way. Oh, yeah. If you want to bootstrap your <laughs> own Kubernetes cluster for some reason, I did. And then I got yelled at by my security team that has alerting. Yeah. It was like, who created these? And I was like, it was me. Yeah. I really like Cube by example. And they have a lot of... Well, CodeFresh offers several GitOps kind of online certification courses like okay. that are very useful to learn GitOps, which is helpful to learn Argo. Mm-hmm. But I think for all of these, Kubernetes is really the gold standard of cloud native. Yeah. But I guess to your point then, if you're trying to learn this space, even from a security perspective, you probably want to consider Argo CD, OPA, and Kubernetes because you kind of like the application is built and deployed into a Kubernetes cluster. Argo CD is a CI/CD pipeline that's deploying everything. OPA becomes that your gatekeeper and mm-hmm. policy checker. Cilium becomes that network security component between the clusters, I guess. Yes. So there's still a lot of moving parts that people can actually learn, but great to see so many open source projects coming in as well. And just to be clear, Argo is a CD tool. Okay, not, a, not CI. a CI tool. Good to and know, yeah. as a CI person, yeah. I think it's it's very important that those are two different things. And testing is still very, very important. I would yeah. not recommend anyone just jump straight to using CD. Yeah. Have have CI in place, but CD, true CD, is very, very cool. Yeah. I'm glad you kind of brought that up as well. How would you describe the difference between the two CS, CD? Because a lot of people just do what you said, and I kind of made the mistake myself as well by just calling, oh, CICD, Argo CD, CICD. Other than kind of their names, I think CI is the process in which you test and integrate your code so you make sure it's working. A lot of people use CI as CD, so they'll have their testing suite, and then at the end they'll build an image in that, and they'll say, hey, CI, if all of these tests pass, deploy this image. Mm -hmm. Run this, like, kubectl apply f command. Yeah. I think... Where the break is, is after testing, after building your artifact, after putting it somewhere in a registry in ECR, then you have a CD tool that actually deploys it. So those two things can be separate, and I think CI is more of a push feature. Mm. You push code, it triggers CI. CD, true CD, in the way of Argo and GitOps and this kind of operational framework is a pulling feature. It syncs your repository, it looks at it, but you're not ever really telling Argo all right, go go deploy this. It's yeah. saying like, oh, you've given me things to deploy. I'm going to deploy them now. Oh, which is kind of what cloud native should be, you know, event-based rather than, I think that's what they call it, rather than just the traditional old school of me running a batch script to just have everything just, is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Yeah. Or I mean, which is not to knock bash scripts. No, no, no definitely not. Yeah, yeah they're, they're <laughs> definitely great. I've done, I've written plenty of them. But to your point, it sounds a bit... Like, hey, wait, why am I waiting for this? Like, not that it's a real person on the other end of the bash script, but you can kind of feel bad. Oh, yeah, a bash script can just run when the change happens instead of just consistently driving the processor to just keep running this. So from a memory utilization, all of that perspective, performance perspective, it definitely goes a long way. That was kind of like also the end of the question that I had as well. Where can people find you to have more information about this world of Argo CD and OPA and how can maybe they take this further in their organization, where can they get in touch with you? Uh, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. I'm Eve Benezra there. 
You can also get in touch with me on TikTok. I All have right. a TikTok account, which is Help Me Exit VI. <laughs> and I make really terrible Kubernetes jokes there. We so. should follow you. Follow her on TikTok. <laughs> uh, cool. Awesome. Now, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having more conversations about this in the future as well. Thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show. thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. When you're developing an app, security might be treated as an afterthought. With functionality requirements and tight deadlines, it's easy to accidentally write vulnerable code or use a vulnerable dependency. But Sneak can help you secure your code in real time, so you don't need to slow down to build securely. Develop fast, stay secure. Good developer. Sneak.